welcome to the BK Show podcast. This is episode number 20, and today I am joined by my good friend Craig Rizzoli. Craig is the founder of HighSpeedDaddy.com, where they make military-style gear for dads, and he also has a men's group behind the brand where he aims to help men provide, protect, and connect. He truly, truly wants to help all men be better men in this world. And I think that's pretty cool. We actually dive into some of that today. And I also think he makes pretty awesome products. Uh, I have his white camo uh, backpack here, and I'm actually going to give it away on this uh, this episode. So if you go sign up for my email list, it is in the show notes, thebkshow.com. It's up in the header. Uh, feel free to sign up. And if you do, I'm going to pick one of you to give away this backpack. If you're already on my email list and you would like this backpack, just shoot me an email, ben at thebkshow.com. I'll make sure I put you in the little raffle as well. Uh, but I'm going to give it away. I think it's uh, pretty awesome what he's built over there. I think he's got a cool story, and we talked about some pretty fun stuff today. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Craig Rizzoli. Hey, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? I am great, Ben. Thanks for having me here, man. I appreciate it. I've, I've been wondering when you're going to have me on here, to be honest with you. <laughs> You've been on my list. Uh, I think I told you before the show, I, I don't know your story, right? So I get a little nervous recording people. I don't know. it. I don't feel like I'm going to dictate it. I, I get a little uh, imposter syndrome. Like, am I going to do a good enough job of sharing this story? And uh, it's all my own bullshit. Dude, so I'm, the same, I'm the same way. I, I already have imposter syndrome right now. Can I tell my own story the right way or not? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how, uh, you know, what is that? The war of art? That's that's the resistance that pops up every day. No matter what you're doing, you're going to get the voices in your head that question whether you should continue doing it. And so I get it a lot. There's a lot of people on my list oh, that yeah. I'm honestly afraid to reach out to. I've reached out to a couple. I got a couple no's. Those hurt a little bit, but I kept going, right? And uh yeah, you were just one. I wasn't afraid you were going to, you know, say no or not want to be on. I just I don't know enough about you to to dictate the story. So I'm excited to actually learn about your story and, and I love your I, brand, so I think that'll be fun. You know, it's it's one of the the most fun things, the most hated things, uh talking about myself, right? Mm. <laughs> mm. Just telling my own story and stuff like that. But uh like I said, I appreciate you having me on and I'm um, looking forward to getting into all this fun stuff we're going to talk about. Well, let's hear it, man. I, I truthfully don't know your story. I know I, I met you. Uh, I saw your brand, High Speed Daddy, which I thought was pretty cool. You shipped me a backpack, which I'm a very big man. Uh, it didn't quite fit me perfectly. So actually, if you're listening to this, I'm going to give that backpack away. Go sign up for my email list. I'm going to send the one that Craig sent me. I'm going to give it to some lucky listener. Uh, caller number 10. And then uh, <laughs> like, I like your brand. I, I, I like you like you're awesome your beard's killer i wish i had a beard like you and uh you know i just i don't know your story right i know you're a military yep. guy and that's a, i think that's about all i know about you and other than yep. you know what we work together in the mastermind well we we can talk about uh my military experience we can talk about my corporate america experience um we can talk about fatherhood um we can talk about corporate america experience military experience fatherhood and starting a business all at the same time so my answer is yes. I'd yeah, take yeah, me back as was, far as you can. I'd love to yeah. hear how you got where you are today. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I still live here today. Uh, some people like to look at New Jersey as the armpit of America. I love it. I, I grew up in a nice farming area of New Jersey, you know, basically centrally located between Philadelphia and New York City. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a middle class family. Neither one of my parents uh, had college degrees. Um, you know, so it was important for me to go to college and I'll just kind of skip through the childhood. I have older brother, younger sister, very, my parents are still together, very tight knit family, um, within driving distance to both sets of grandparents, you know, around, around family all the time. Uh, so that was very important growing up. Um, that was kind of like bred into me that family is number one, you know, um, 
primera la familia, right? You know, it's one of those little Italian adages and stuff like that. Family comes first. Um, blood's thicker than water, stuff like that. And uh, that'll come back around later on with the brand that we'll talk about. And, but you, you know don't you don't have about. the Jersey accent. You don't have the, that's the Italian I, accent. Your last name's Rizzoli, right? I yeah, want to yeah, hear yeah. you talk about pasta. So, <laughs> so that that's... Um, that that's because I grew up, you know, right right in the middle of those two. I wasn't I wasn't towards the Philadelphia area. I wasn't towards the New York area. I was right central in the middle. Um, and you know, I've been around a little bit, right? You know, I I I don't want to pick up the accents and stuff like that, and you know, things along those lines. But you know, like I said, grew up in a middle class family. Um, you know. I always wanted to work on cars. I love working with my hands. I love working on motorcycles, things along those lines. I wanted to go become an auto mechanic, motorcycle mechanic, something along those lines. And uh, sometime in the middle of high school, my father, when I told him that, he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't go to college. So it's important for you to go to college, typical American dream type thing. And basically what came out of that was, hey, why don't you go to school for engineering since, you know, you seem to be pretty good mechanically and see where that takes you. And uh, I always valued my father's opinion. Uh, we always had a great relationship. You know, it, it took me till I was probably in my early mid twenties to realize, you know, that everything the old man was talking about, um, was actually pretty legit and he had pretty good points. And I, you know, respected him a lot more instead of him just dictating my life, um, working together to find out where I should kind of take things. So, and I ended up going to college. I ended up getting a four year, um, four year degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, and from there just went straight into working, you know, corporate America, industrial engineering stuff, uh, consumer products, new product development, things along those lines, everything from quality assurance, uh, to project management, to directorship, uh, of projects and teams and things along those lines. Um, and I'm just skipping through college stuff real quick. Well, that doesn't sound um, like engineering, right? When I think engineer, I think, you know, big problem solver, especially industrial, right? Like I used to work at a Walmart distribution center, right? And they mm-hmm. would bring in engineers to figure out the the rollers and the path at which boxes should go from one building to the other building to be put in a container. And yep, I, it, it all fits together with different types of engineering, right? You have mechanical, civil, electronic, now in, um, uh, environmental, uh, you know, th- mechanical, all those things. And, you know, basically what I was brought up to do is, you know, my first job out of college was uh, an internship, um, basically bringing <laughs> box fans and, and house fans um, from concept to fruition and then sold at Walmart, Target, things along those lines. And I was a new kid, you know, wet behind the ears. They basically said, hey, go manage these projects and kind of trial by fire and jumped in and learned the ropes real quick. Uh, but that that was my introduction to new product development, how to develop a product, how to work with suppliers, how to uh, do documentation, how to do quality assurance, how to do all that stuff at 21 years old. And I'm only kind of talking about that because we'll talk later on. And a lot of people know who listen to Ben here, um, you know, what he brings people on that have built businesses. So we'll talk about high speed daddy in the business that I built in a little while. Um, but, you know, circling back around, you know, to even before college, uh, the entrepreneurial tendencies were just always there. Um, you know, I, I went on the path of, you know, becoming, I don't want to talk down about this, the rat race, you know, of, of people in the cogs and stuff like that and went through schooling and, you know, I did corporate America for 14 years. Um, it never really fit well, but you know, I was cutting lawns in my teens. I was flipping baseball cards. You know, it's the typical story. Everyone, we all did the same thing. Uh, 
except I, I got a little bit into the digital age because Craigslist was new. eBay was new. So I got into that. Remember, remember the eBay stores back in the day? Mm-hmm. You know, people bring stuff to the eBay store and they list it on eBay and they take their commission. Well, I was doing that and undercutting those stores, you know, and I was doing that. And I had lots of stuff I was selling at the time. So I was getting into e-commerce kind of at a young age. I just never, never took it the next level at that point because I was afraid. Um, it just straight up, I was, I was afraid. I was afraid to step back from corporate America. You know, I always had a side hustle going on uh, and doing stuff along those lines. I think lines. everybody should have a side hustle going on. Yeah. You know, I, I was always trying to figure out money, how, you know, how to make money on the side, right? Yeah. You know, so always figuring out how to make money on the side. And there was lots of different things we were, you know, I was jumping into and out of, and there was MLM, there was a whole bunch of stuff, oh right? It was kind of- What, was, what MLM? Tell me, tell me about these MLMs because I, uh, I just want to rant I, on I, them. It was only one. Um, what the hell? It was called ACN and it was taking deregulated uh, energy and telephone telecommunication um, and basically- just selling, like undercutting the big guys. Like instead of using the AT&T wire lines, there was these other companies that came in and sold, you know, like the, the transmission of stuff through the wire lines or something along those lines. Uh, and then energy, like electric and gas. So it saved people money on their electric and gas and you take the little share. But it was the MLM, you know, you get people underneath you and things like that. So that was actually my jumpstart into self-improvement in my early 20s. Uh, and you know, the Jim Rohns and, you know, Anthony, you know, Tony Robbins and all that stuff. And before then I was never into any of that stuff, but when you look back on your MLM experience, are you happy or sad, right? Like I have I'm people happy. and I'm sure, I'm sure you have people in your Facebook feed that every day you get a DM of like, Hey, how are you? Um, have, <laughs> for me, it's face cream, right? I have rosacea. So I get off yeah. often. Have you tried this new face cream? Um, not a big fan of the MLMs, but I, but I see the other side, right? I see the company. Really, it's just like an affiliate model, right? With yeah. sub-affiliates mm-hmm. and there, there's multi-level affiliate stuff uh, everywhere. Um, and then I, I think what I hate is like it's not your business, right? I hate being mm-hmm. out of control personally. It's almost mm-hmm. like the franchisee model. I don't think yes. I can do it because I'm, yeah. I'm not in control. Yeah. Uh, but everyone I've talked to, so uh, the girl who cuts my hair is part of one and I've talked to her and she's happy to be growing hers. And then she'll tell me she goes to these retreats like four times a year and it's all personal development. They're they're all working on like Tony Robbins Mm -hmm. and and you said Jim Rohn. And I'm like, okay, even if you don't own your business, but you go through that journey of Mm -hmm. self-improvement and get Mm -hmm. the bullshit out of your head, it's going to lead you somewhere good. And so while I I hate them in some ways um, and I think people should start a real business and learn um, through their own mistakes, not through yes. some other company. I guess I do see the value. And so I was curious when you look back, whether that was something you look I, back on fondly or not. I do. I do there. I mean, obviously, you know, put some money out and I spent more money than I made, but you know, I did receive some checks and stuff like that, but you, you hit the the nail on the head there. Uh, and I started getting into it, which was the personal development, right? That kickstarted my personal development, which I've been addicted to ever since, uh, which is probably a common theme with a lot of people on your show here, such as, you know, we're, we're always reading some books. There's always, my, my goal in life is progression, Pro- progress, little by little, 1% improvement every day, talking, you know, the, the James Clear method, you know, atomic habits and stuff like that, that little 1% habit and everything stacking on top of it, um, little by little, just getting better and better. And, you know, it's, dude, it works. It works. It, it keeps you in that good, you know, frame of mind. Uh, it brings you to levels and, and something even that you mentioned, you know, uh, and, and people that, you know, uh, that don't know, you know, Ben and I were in a mastermind together and that's how we first got to know each other. Uh, there's one thing that you said to, I think out to our group at one point, you're like, this is what can happen when you just say yes. And, and you showed some figures for a company you used to work for and, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, or about a Black Friday, Cyber Monday, 
you know, weekend or something. I forget exactly what it was, but that stayed in my mind. Like, you know, there, there's a time and a place to say no. Uh, the more times you say no, the more time you have and stuff like that, but it limits your opportunities that could happen. So there's that little fine balance, but it's okay to say yes and to dive into something. And if it doesn't go down the right way, then you can pivot out of it. You can always pivot out of something. It's almost like a bell curve though, right? In the beginning, you should say yes all the time. Oh yeah, you need And to. then eventually you start finding your way and finding what works for you. And then it's like, uh, no, 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 no. Like everybody get out of my way because I need to focus on this one thing. So anybody who's in the beginning of their journey, say yes to everything. Reach out to yeah. everybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> there's some, my, my, my father's, my father's kind of like old school Italian, blue collar worker-ish, you know, just barely got out of blue collar into white collar towards the end of his career and stuff like that. Uh, and, and he's just, you know, very, he's a very street smart guy. Um, and his, his, his saying is always throw enough shit on the wall. Something's going to stick. Right. So uh, he, he passed that down to me. I was probably in my early teens or something like that. And he was like an assistant coach on my soccer team. And he kept telling guys, he's like, listen, you keep shooting the soccer ball at the goal. Something's eventually going to go in. He's like, throw enough shit on the wall. Something's going to stick. He's like telling right. like a bunch of like preteens this stuff. <laughs> but that is something that has stuck with me about just keep trying, keep trying, keep throwing something out there. And, you know, talking about the, my little miniature entrepreneur journey um, about throwing stuff out there and eventually something's going to work out, right? You'll find your way. You'll figure out what path and what your passions are and things will start to converge. And with um, a little bit of faith from a higher power or something along those lines, uh, you'll, you'll direct it in the right way. You know, might not happen today, might not happen tomorrow, but eventually, you know, if you continue down with consistency, it will happen how it's supposed to happen. That's it. You got to jump and don't there quit. There you go. That's it. Absolutely. But I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's stood on the, the edge of the cliff for a long time pondering what it's going to be like to jump. Yeah. What could happen uh, if I do jump? And do I know how to swim? And, yeah. you know, can I go back? And uh, all the what ifs, man. Yeah, it's, uh, but you're right. It's just jump. It's You're absolutely right. And I've had a bunch of those cliff moments, which I think is kind of got me a little bit used to it in a, in a certain way um, or made it not as fearful to do it. And, uh, you know, one is just going to college, right? You know, I, I didn't want to go to college. I, you know, I knew it was going to be hard doing a mechanical engineering degree. This isn't a liberal arts degree. No offense to the liberal arts majors out there, <laughs> um, you know, but it, it was a, it was a very hard degree. I was taking 22 credits a semester for four years. You know, it's, it, it was a lot. Um, I got by with, you know, a b barely B average, you know, got by in a curve and all that stuff, but it, it solidified a foundation of me too. You do something hard, you reap rewards, right? You know, so I came out of college, got a job right away and started working that and, you know, um, started accelerating through the job, moving up the, the ranks and things along those lines till it started to get boring till it seemed like it wasn't a good fit. Um, and I would always try something on the side and a side hustle or something to get my, you know, take my concentration away from my nine to five that was boring and stuff like that. I got paid really well. There, I had great benefits. Um, you know, I, I was able to buy a house with my girlfriend. I had two dogs, you know, things like that, like the white picket fence. I was doing what I was, quote, supposed to do. So therefore, I was a success in most people's eyes. I was never a success in my own eyes. That was the problem. So I was always striving for something else to, to latch onto. So that happened for a while until uh, it got to a point where I was like, I need something else much bigger to, to distract me from this or to take over. Uh, so um, my grandfather, and uh, I'll circle back around a little bit, my grandfather being a World War II POW uh, had a lot of influence on me in, in, in my life. I spent a lot of time around my grandfather uh, growing up. Um, 
talking about a fucking war hardened man, scary, uh, but the most lovable guy ever. Um, and I was around a lot of other uh, POWs and military guys that would always come over every Sunday morning after church and have lunch or breakfast or brunch at my grandparents' house. And I was the wee little kid running around the table and then getting eventually getting a little bit older and older to listen and comprehend these stories. So I was, you know, introduced to the hardship and the the live version of Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, the the live stories of that stuff. Um, uh, you know, at a at a younger age. Uh, and not quite understanding it fully, but, you know, starting to pick up a little bit and a little bit. So anyway, you know, uh, you know, I was always fascinated with the military, with, with being in the army and stuff along those lines, but I got pushed on that different path to go to college. And then that continued into the, you know, the, the girlfriend, the house, the white picket fence and stuff like that. Um, but something always kept inside of me about, you know, about American pride, about selfless service, about doing stuff for others that can't do stuff for themselves or protecting them. Um, you know, and so I looked into basically joining the military uh, multiple different times, sitting down with recruiters, trying to get the story. And I was too afraid to make to pull the trigger, too afraid to pull the trigger, too afraid to pull the trigger until I was literally, you know, just before my 30th birthday and that burning desire in my stomach came up again. I'm talking with my girlfriend um, who was my fiance at the time um, or I'm sorry, <laughs> at the time, my fiance and she went, listen, and she knew the whole story. She went, don't let me be a life regret. Don't let the, the house be a life regret. Don't let your job be a life regret here. Go do what you were meant to do. So basically that's all I needed. You know, she gave me the approval and at 30 years old, I joined the, the New Jersey national guard. Now I was, I don't want to say smart enough, but I, I was I guess wise enough to, um, not, go join the active duty military, which could relocate me to at the needs of the army. I'd be in Korea or, you know, Germany or, you know, Washington state and stuff and completely disrupt my life. And that's why I ended up joining the national guard because I know I'd still be able to, to serve my country. Um, you know, but also stay locally, still maintain my job, uh, that I had. And I was already working for what, probably eight years at the time. Um, I wouldn't have to disrupt my um, my, my fiance's life and have her pick up and move with me or make her make that decision whether she wanted to or not. Uh, so that's why I ended up joining, um, you know, the national guard, which is like a reserve permission, uh, what a, or what a, reserve what a moment from your wife. Like I've been doing this a lot yeah. lately. I don't, yeah. I don't remember where I heard it. I think I heard it from Gary V that he wakes up every day and imagines what it would be like if his, all of his family died. Uh, and I was like, God, that sounds terrible, but I've been doing it recently where I've, I've been thinking about death. Like, what's it going to be like? what, what what are my thoughts going to be when I'm 60, 70, 80, 90, whatever it ends up being, 150, who knows? Um, what am I going to look back and say, man, I wish I would have done that? Rocking chair test. You guys you guys can't see it right now. I'm literally sitting in a rocking chair. It that totally was my is. grandparents. All right. Uh, I call it the rocking chair test. When you're 80, 90 years old, however old you are, and you have your grandkids sitting on your lap, on your front stoop, and you're rocking in a chair, what stories are you going to have to tell them? Mm. What things are you going to want to pass on to them, right? And that's stuff that always goes through my mind. And that's where, like you said, Gary V, legacy, right? It's about the legacy. What did you do? I grew up with my dad telling me that he was a DDKP. Welcome to DDKP FM. And he was this DJ and he loved it. Uh, and then he had kids and he quit school and he gave up on his dream. And I heard him talk about it enough of like, I don't want that. I don't want to look back and be like, what if? Um, and usually that's what, you know, back to the cliff metaphor. That's what makes me jump of like, 
if I don't do it, I'm going to look back someday and regret not doing this. And uh, what a moment for your wife at 29 or whatever, however yeah. old she was to tell you, hey, don't look back and regret this decision. Yeah, it's it was that was just another notch on a stick on why she was perfect for me. Right. Or something, you know, something along those lines and I'm horrible at analogies, but you know, it, it, it was just one of those things, you know, <laughs> quick, quick story about my wife. I was probably like three years or so, four years or so before that. And we had dated for a while since our, you know, probably like 2021 somewhere right in there. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was getting some money from my, the company I used, used to work for, corporate company was a public company. And then they were bought by private equity and taken off the market. When they were taken off the market, if you had any shares invested in the company through stock, uh, company stock ownership, it was being um, released. Like, so basically I was getting a sizable check. And you know, at the time it was very, it was sizable. It was like five grand or something like that. Uh, so I, I talked to her, I'm like, listen, I'm getting this money. I'd always put this aside, like full transparency. I had always put this aside. This was going to be for a ring I was going to buy for you. I don't know if we're there yet. But if we're not, I've got my eye on this motorcycle. So, <laughs> and she goes, we'll probably get more use out of the motorcycle right now. There I was go. like, I'm going to marry you someday. <laughs> now let's go buy the motorcycle, right? So that was just like one of those, like one of those things where like, yes, yes, wise woman, stay with her. You know, so, <laughs> so her, um, <laughs> her, her giving me that permission, you know, let me at just before 30 years old pull that trigger, uh, join the army infantry, go through the same boot camp as active duty army infantry down at Fort Benning school for boys. Um, you know, and, uh, at 30 years old being the old man, like go down the boot camp and get the shit beat out of me for the next, whatever, 13 weeks that it was. And, uh, two weeks before we left, we found out that she was pregnant with our first kid. So not only was I leaving a job all scared as shit what's going on with the house you know paying bills her is she going to be okay you know by herself and this and that uh the two dogs and now she's pregnant as well her first pregnancy and i'm not going to be there for a third of it or maybe half you know something along those lines all that stuff going through my mind and uh yeah i won't be able to talk to her on a regular basis or anything along those lines so i got down there and you know it was a whole new world and i don't need to get into the war stories of boot camp but you know, whatever you see on TV is probably true. So, you know, they, they, they w- without laying a hand on you per se, uh, just basically beat the shit out of you physically and mentally and break you down and build you back up again. But because I was 30 years old, I knew that this was a game of sorts, right? You know, I knew that, you know, I, I'm, I, I kicked my own ass for a couple of years leading up to it to make sure that my body could handle it mentally. I could handle it because I wasn't going in at the average age of 18 to 24, which most guys were, you know, and they're younger and their bodies can handle and stuff like that. Now, what I figured out was when I got down there, um, I may have overtrained a little bit. Um, not that, you know, things were easy for me, but they were a lot harder for a lot of other guys. Let's say that. And then, you know, start taking our physical fitness assessments and stuff like that. And I start realizing that I'm at the top of the list out of like 250 guys in our company. Um, And uh, long story short, you know, I I was like the godfather down there of like all the young boys. I was older than my drill sergeants. They would, I would never get any special privileges. They treated me just the same. But if there was something going on, like, you know, hey, we noticed this, uh, this private over there is having a lot of trouble. Hey, old balls, you know, and that's what like the drill sergeants called me like, Hey, old balls, uh, what's going on with this guy? You know, like 
everything's okay and this and that. So I was kind of like the godfather. Can I officially call you old balls for the rest of the If you want show? to, go ahead. Okay, yeah, that's it. that's you know an endearing term for me. So brings me back 10 years ago. So <laughs> but these uh, you know, so I, I took care of all these guys. They were like all little brothers to me and things like that. So I would help them through um certain situations and, and things along those lines. And then also, you know, I, I ended up, you know, le- leading our company in a physical fitness test and ended up taking PT honors, uh, which afforded me the opportunity to go to airborne school as a national guardsman from New Jersey, which is kind of unheard of, uh, cause there's no national guard airborne units in New Jersey, if you haven't heard, but, <laughs> uh, I got to do that and then, uh, kind of go back, you know, graduated and, uh, and basically went back to the quote normal life of, you know, the nine to five jobs, except for one week in a month, two weeks a year as they sold it to me. Uh, which it didn't end up being like that at all because the first year on the books, I had probably 120 days military. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot, especially when you're good at something, they want you to do more and more of stuff. It's kind of like the guy that works for a company. Like he's the guy that gets stuff done. We're going to give him more stuff to do. Uh, yeah, that was, that was me for the military. I'm so ignorant when it comes to the military, right? I, I, I literally know nothing. My, none of my family was in there. Uh, episode four with TJ Ferrara. He's talking about bubs. Yeah, he talked about the bubs and the seals and stuff. Yeah, and I, I can't like, even. I'm like so that's clueless. stuff that we all aspired to be, you know, especially like a little National Guards guy and stuff. And I was like, I got to go to airborne school. I jumped out of an airplane five times, you know, and stuff like that. And they're like, Yeah, but you're not war hardened, so go sit over there. You know, so yeah, he, <laughs> he talked about going somewhere where you like prepare to be a seal right and go through all this mm-hmm. and he did it voluntarily and that, that yeah. blew my mind number one but he's you know he's a well taken care of man he's a he's in great shape but i i just i've never really understood military i've never been around it uh in the mastermind it was you yeah know, you and george and um i think eric was military as well and like so you know that was kind of my first experience and then uh, now i've married my wife her brother um i don't think i can talk about what he does he's pretty mm-hmm. important uh mm-hmm. in this country uh and so i've learned a little bit through him but i just i don't know anything about that world it's so weird when people talk about it I, i'm very interested because i'm trying to figure it out but my my only experience i think is call of duty and ranking up through the levels and yeah. like you know understanding that this level this this title is you know better than this title yeah i mean that's that's what like a lot of people's thoughts are you know even when you join the military right you got until you get into the military to see what everything is all about and even like even i i spent six years in the army and like i said it was national guard or a reservist position i still don't like I've been called to to active duty to do certain little things, but you know, I, I didn't live the active duty life in barracks, you know, for long periods of times and all, all that stuff. I didn't raise a family inside of a base. And there's a whole whole gist that even me as, you know, six years in the military didn't even know that that portion of it. You know, like I, I was aware of it, but I didn't experience it myself. You know what I've noticed from outside, and you tell me if I'm crazy here. So at Walmart DC, every Memorial Day, um, uh, and then I forget which other holiday it is. I, I apologize. Veterans uh, Day. Better, yeah, probably July Veterans 4th, Day. Whatever. We would do like a, a special ceremony, right? We would have our, rather than have our all hands, whatever, you know, the whole meeting in the DC, um, they would do a ceremony and they would call it everybody who had service and their brothers and sisters uh, and like call them up on stage. And I think one thing I noticed that I think is different than normal life is anybody who's like a higher rank, it was clear there was respect there of like, I've seen what you've gone through and I respect mm-hmm. you. And I feel like in today's environment, there's too much of, Oh, must be nice. Um, or uh, I hear this one from friends a lot of like talking about athletes of I'd be in great shape too if I got paid to work out every day and, and things like and rather than like the respect that I saw in the military. So there was a our our HR guy was a command sergeant major, which I'm told there's not yeah, many huge. of. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's up there. <laughs> and so most people didn't like him. To be fair, and he's yeah, HR. Yeah. Nobody likes HR anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, they all respected this guy. They all they're all you know they they treated him differently, and they treated everybody who was in the military differently. They had a great respect for each other that I think I admired from afar. I, I, I wish more people, rather than you know, must be nice, rather than envious. Yeah, had more respect and 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 just uh, looked upon each other with like empathy of what they've been through. You know, it's times are different than they once were, right? Like we were growing up, and you know, you had guys, you know, that Desert Storm, or you know, some of our some of our parents or whatever uh, through Vietnam and things like that. And then there's like like the, that big break of conflict, and there was a little stuff, Grenada, and you know, things like that that went on, but there was that big break until you know nine eleven and things started over again. Um, but I, I think it was a, you know, like we can go on a whole tangent of, <laughs> of, of, you know, how people through Vietnam weren't respected and, you know, guys that came home and all that stuff and baby killers and et cetera, et cetera, uh, whole negativity, but they weren't there to see what guys saw. They weren't there to see what their brothers went through and sisters next to them and who didn't come home and, you know, stuff lo- along those lines. Have you ever seen the South Park episode where they're fighting both sides? <laughs> no, I can't. I, remind me to send it to you afterwards because it's hilarious. It's like one group of people who say, you know, war is not for me. And they start, yeah. it's kind of a musical episode yeah, where they're yeah. singing, I'm a little bit country. I'm a little <laughs> bit rocking. And I'm a little bit for the war. Anyway. And so like, there's the other side who are like, they took a job and we're, we're going to fight yeah. and have military. And by the end of the show, they come to a good point, which all South Park episodes actually have a point at the end. And it's like, we need both of you. We need people who... Yeah don't want to do this stuff mm-hmm. uh, and want to take care of people. And we need the other people who are badasses who want to go, you know, handle stuff that, you know, the other side's not going to handle. And I should send that to you. And I think you'd really, enjoy no, you're, that you're absolutely right. There needs to be that balance, right? Like not everyone can do it. And I mean, that goes into a whole nother story. Well, on, on whether everyone should do two years of military service, like Israel or, you know, uh, you know, other countries that, that make you do that as part of like, you know, your, your upbringing, <laughs> you know, like you have to buy the government, you know, law do a year or two or three or four of military service before we send you out. You know, that's just your obligation. So there's a whole nother story of that stuff. Um, you know, which is the, the positives and, and negatives to all that. Uh, but we don't, <laughs> you know, that's neither here nor there, but basically, you know, the, the military service for me was, it, it was good. It fulfilled part of that void that I always had inside me and that regret that I was starting to go towards of not being able to do and wanted to continue. My father tried to enlist and tried to go to Vietnam and all that stuff. And he was too damn blind to do it. Essentially. My father wears like Coke bottle style glasses. Um, you know, they're like, we're going to put you behind a desk and you're going to be pushing pencils. He's like, Nope, not for me. See you later. Bye. And then when it came to draft time, like he never got it. So, um, so like it skipped him and then went to, went to me. Right. And then even when I signed at 30 years old, you know, and I, broke it down to my family. I'm like, listen, this is what I'm doing. And naturally my mother starts crying because I'm her, you know, I'm, I'm a baby. And, you know, everyone thinks about worst case scenario. Sure. Uh, my father pulls me aside and he goes, the hell took you so long. I knew you were eventually going to do it. And I was like, well, thanks for the approval. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I, I, I did that for a while and, you know, coming back to what I was kind of mentioning before about, I was always needing a distraction for my corporate job. Um, it was good and the corporate job loved it for a period of time because they could kind of like showboat me around. Like we hire vets and we take care of our own and this and that. And I worked for a big company. Like at the time, um, it was a billion dollar company. Uh, and we, you know, it, it was good 
for a point until I started going away, you know, I, okay, I got to go away for two weeks and okay, now I got, you know, this weekend's a long weekend and through federal law, like, you know, there's nothing that the company could do. Um, there's laws in place through uh, USGR, U- USERA, and these are a bunch of acronyms that people can go look up. But basically, federal laws that protect the employment of reservists and National Guardsmen that go away to serve country or uh, to do the duty. So, you know, but the more I went away, uh, it started becoming a hassle. Like you, you imagine like, hey, uh, I'm going away. Um, I got to hand off my all these projects to someone else to, to pick up or those projects got to go on hold for two weeks or three weeks or this. And if I go away like one week this month and two weeks the next month and a long weekend there, like it, it adds up and it creates frustration. I get that. Um, I, get, I get it to a point, you know. So my stellar career and advancement at this company that I was working for started to flatline. And then, you know, it got to a point where I took a promotion, um, for a job that I probably shouldn't have, you know, I was was no, no joke, just chase, chasing the money. You know, they were dangling something in front of me and, uh, I was actually applying for another position I was more interested in when they were like, you'd be better over here. And here's a little bit more money. And I was like, Ooh, a little bit more money because I'm, you know, entrepreneurial minded and anything about money I'm going to chase. You know, so I, I went and did that and it was under supported, understaffed and uh, not good, just not good in general. So I, I tried to make, tried to make lemonade out of lemons and, uh, you know, just ended up being a lot of mush and stuff like that. Um, I asked for help and things along those lines, just got limited support. And when it came down to, I was probably a little green for that position as well. Um, so basically that got to the point where uh, they ended up putting me on a, what do you call it? A PIP, a uh, personal improvement plan, uh, which is their legal version of a warning to fire you, essentially, if people are familiar in the corporate world with that. Um, it's like, yeah, better shape up or we're going to get rid of you. Um, and at that point, I kind of just knew like the writing was on the wall and my searching for something else to do really started to increase. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I believe in God. Um, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to bring the faith based from that aspect and everyone, you know, whether, whether you believe, whether you're Christian, you're Muslim, um, you're, you're Jewish, uh, or you believe in the water (laughs) or, or the sun, whatever it may be. I suggest people have, believe in some version of a higher power and sometimes faith kind of dictates where you should go in life. Uh, and this was starting to be one of those higher power, like, Hey, maybe this isn't for you anymore. Maybe you should start looking elsewhere. Maybe, you know, get in the river and just kind of float downstream, not keep going, trying to cross the river at the heaviest current. So, you know, I, I, I was still doing military, uh, part-time, um, I had the corporate job, which wasn't going well, and I was looking for stuff to do on the outside. So I was listening to podcasts, and I had done this through the years. I'd always read books, going back to personal improvement. I'd listen to podcasts on how to start businesses, and I just never had that idea. I never knew what that business model to go down. I never knew what I wanted to do. But what I kept doing throughout all those years uh, that was in corporate, just as of recent, all that stuff was filling the brain bank, reading books listening to podcasts, fill the brain bank. Cause I knew someday I'd take withdrawals and it'd all be worth it. So I was basically at that point now. And, uh, I came across a video on, uh, how to sell on Amazon. And I said, that's interesting. I said, I have some experience with e-commerce and you know, then I started, you know, listening to 
kind of diving into the Amazon rabbit hole and going down and seeing who the players were and all the influencers. And this was 2015, 16, somewhere in there. And uh, basically, you know, figured out um, through one podcast. You remember Scott Volker? I do. Yeah, I used to listen yeah. to Scott a lot. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'd listen to Scott a lot. So he had something he called a touch list for idea development uh, for new products and stuff like that. And I basically followed the touch list, which was anything you physically touch from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, write down on a piece of paper. And you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of things on that piece of paper. And basically, you take that and then you start narrowing it down to what your passions are, what you would like to do, what you would want to build a business around, and then narrow it down further to product research and going into those realms. So basically I narrowed stuff down at that time. And at the time I had three and a one year old at the time. Um, so obviously I was full blown into new, new fatherhood uh, and I was still doing the military. And basically I was like light bulb idea. Uh, one of the things that I touched was one of the, well, my diaper bag, which was what I was using in an army assault pack because I didn't want to carry around a pink flowery bag at the time, my wife's bag. So I just had an army assault pack with stuff with diapers and, you know, some other stuff. And, you know, so I saw the diaper bag and it was like fatherhood and military and boom, came together. And I was like, I'm going to create a backpack that's kind of manly, that looks really badass, that's more my style, has some military influence to it, and I'm going to launch it. So I start going into product research and stuff and realize, ah, shit, others have already done it. And there's someone else out there and they're pretty big. And we were talking before, <laughs> before we started here and you're like, ah, you know, should I bring up your main competitor? I was like, yeah, go ahead. So there was a company out there that was already doing stuff. I was like, damn it. Wait, they were around back then? 2015, they were around, uh, around 2013. So we're talking tactical baby gear, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. So you know, I was like, damn it. Well, I don't want to, you know, go recreate the wheel. So I started going. So I left it alone for a few days, but something kept nagging me, like look into this further, go farther into it, you know, research further, find out who, who the company is, who these guys are and stuff like that. And I did all that because, you know, the Google can bring you a lot of information when you search things. <laughs> so I found out, you know, who the owners were, what their backgrounds were. Um, I went really hard into their products, which I'm a product guy. Uh, just talking about the corporate experience, stuff like that. I was in new product development my whole time. Um, so I was like, I can create a product. I can figure this out. So, you know, I looked at their stuff and I said, you know what? I can do something that's as good or better than what they have. And I think I have a better story. I'm an actual veteran. These guys weren't, you know, they're still good guys, but I was like, I think I can actually bring a better story to this. And I think I can do a better product and I'm not shaming their stuff. They're really great guys. Um, I just thought I could physically do it better because I had that confidence behind me. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to give it a shot. So I started, you know, going heavy into product research and, you know, uh, working with suppliers, a few rounds of prototypes later, uh, I developed what I thought was a better product than theirs, um, created a brand called high speed daddy. And, uh, the reason for that real quick, um, there, there's a couple different reasons. One, so at least in the army, I, I, I go back and forth with George. George is uh, my business partner on this uh, that I brought in later on. But you know, George is a 12-year Marine. Uh, I spent six years Army. And you know, we, we, we clash heads on our rivalry and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, George, someone that was high speed in the Army was those special operations guys. Those, you know, TJ might even drop the word high speed a couple times in, in his podcast with you. And I was like, you know, 
uh, high speed guy, you know, jumping out of the airplanes, the, you know, the best of the best, someone who's always striving to be better, this and that. And I was like, that's pretty much what we want guys to be for fatherhood. We want men and fathers to be the best versions of themselves and be high speed dads. And I was like, oh, there you go. High speed daddy. So I looked up the trademark. No one was on it. I was like, boom, it's mine. So, but what really locked it in was uh, I was just kind of running it through my family, you know, and I, I took the approach of letting my family know what I was doing. And this was while I was working corporate, while I was, you know, in the military, while I had a three and a one year old, I did, this was all at the same time. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to sort of, you know, side hustle this and that, you know, and, uh, and I told my, my younger sister, I was like, I'm thinking I'm calling it high speed daddy. And she's like, would you abbreviate at all? Like HSD? I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. You know? And she's like, well, Haley, Sadie, Dominic. I was like, what? She goes, Haley, Sadie, Dominic. It's my wife's name and my, and my two kids, HSD, hmm. Haley, Sadie, Dominic. And I went, well, that's another check mark of higher power telling me it's meant to be. So high speed daddy was, was formed at that point. I think there's a real lesson in there that you kind of breezed over of like realizing abundance that who cares if another company existed, that's already doing this. They can't possibly serve everyone who needs a product like that. Uh, And it's, I think it is a limiting belief that I, I certainly had to bust through of like uh, definitely back when I was teaching and had courses and things like that of like, I'm teaching the same thing. 14 other Mm -hmm. people are teaching, Mm -hmm. but somebody might resonate with me where they don't resonate with somebody else, or they might resonate with your story where they don't resonate with tactical baby gear story. And so, um, yeah, there's a real lesson in there of just do just go. I'm so happy that I continued down that line. Cause I, prior to that moment, I constantly thought I had to invent something brand new. Uh, it had to be brand new to market. And what I realized was, uh, later on a little bit that it's actually easier to launch and get reception when there's a market already created. So I call it kind of like the Dyson vacuum principle. Like you can, like the vacuum has been around forever, but Dyson came in and revolutionized the world. One, it was innovative, but still it's just a vacuum. So, you know, I was taking a diaper bag um, and just putting a different spin on the diaper bag. And even though someone else was out there doing uh, similar, similar things, you know, I, like I said, I did my research. I, you know, I, I analyzed what people liked about diaper bags, what people didn't like about diaper bags, what people liked about my competitor, what people didn't like about the competitor. And I put it all into the pot, mixed it together and developed, you know, what, what I thought was a, a better product. Isn't that Scott Volker's method anyway, if I remember, I used to listen to him a lot, but it's been a long time of like, you know, quit trying to reinvent the real. I think he's the one who invented the, the garlic press reference, right? That everybody well, yeah, uses yeah, when they exactly. say go look at Amazon. Yeah. But he tells you, you know, go into reviews, find out yes. why this product sucks, why, yes. how you could make it better. And like, yeah. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just go out there and, and build a better product. And then mm-hmm. what I think I like most about you, and I hope we get into this, is the story, is the community, yeah. is the brand. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you're not just a product. You're not just another guy selling a backpack or now you sell all kinds of stuff, right? Um, yep. But there's there's a real, there's messaging behind it. Um, and it took me a long time to learn that lesson too, of like, it's not just products and competing on a keyword on Google, um, you know, building a real brand and, and community and, and the messaging that goes behind that. And that was my intention from the beginning, right? It, it, yes, I was going to sell a product, a physical product, but it was going to be so much more. And uh, it, it took kind of meeting George for me to like put the puzzle pieces together a little bit of, yes, we sell products, but we help men provide, protect and connect. Like that's our tagline, right? Um, but we use our products as an anchor. If anyone's familiar with NLP and Tony Robbins, neurologistic programming, you know, it's kind of like the, if someone wants to stop cursing, every time they curse, they're going to flick the rubber band on their wrist, right? Everyone's either trying to gain pleasure or avoid pain. 
right? So, you know, you flick that rubber band enough times, you're going to stop cursing. But if you pick up that diaper bag of ours and you, you're involved in our story and we're, we put value out like crazy, uh, if someone's involved in that story and they pick up our product, or if you just see the product, it's going to constantly remind you to be the best version of yourself so you can show up the best version for your family. You're going to stop and think about it before you raise a hand or hit your kid. You're going to stop and think about it before you yell back at your wife. You're going to stop and think about it before you do something stupid that's going to get you in trouble down the line, right? So, you know, that's what we try. Like, it's, it's not a ploy. It's not magic or anything like that. But that's how we come across it. Whether you buy from, from us or not, our bigger mission is to reduce divorce rate, have fathers be the best versions of themselves. You know, like, I, I'm not trying to avoid anything from my childhood. I had a very good childhood. Um, I had some undiagnosed probably anxiety. Uh, as a kid, my parents would constantly call me a worry wart, which I later learned was actually just me being having anxiety over God knows what. I still haven't figured that shit out to this day, um, but I haven't put in the time to figure it out. I haven't I haven't sat down with the Elliots, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but I had I had a good childhood, right? My parents took care of me. My parents loved me, um, but there's always room, and I said for progression, for constantly improving and stuff like that. So my American dream is to take what my parents started for me uh, and showed me as the number one example of how a relationship's supposed to be and how uh, a family uh, is supposed to stay together, and then improve upon that. So this is my version of that, and constantly learning and passing that knowledge and information out to the world so that uh, we can hopefully save marriages. We can we can save kids bruises and shit like that. Um, excuse me as I get a little emotional here. Um, but that shit's real, right? You know, and we have a community uh, of guys that, you know, I was pushing <laughs> here. I'll tell you this story. I was pushing before we even had our first products that we sold. I think it was like September or something of, oh, of 16 that I placed like the first order and, uh, February of 17 is when I first started selling product. What do you do in that meantime? Right. You, you build launch lists, you develop products, you get a blog out there and all that stuff. And I started doing all that. I bet that it was real small, um, but I had an email list because I was like, I'm supposed to have an email list. I you know locked up Instagram, locked up Facebook. I started putting out content and all this stuff. And I started having people actually resonate with me. They're like, hey, I liked your blog post. I was not getting a lot of traction at all. My email list was like, a hundred guys or a hundred people, you know, Instagram, maybe 200 and Facebook was mostly the friends that I carried over from. Don't talk down on that though. Like, right. I can see you like, like it's not that big a deal. That's a huge deal, man. It's so fucking hard to get people on your email list before you launch anything and like build a brand. All of this shit is really, really hard. Uh, so like having a hundred on there is huge, man. True. Um, trying to figure out the integrations on how to make all that work and, you know, working with, uh, um, MailChimp and getting that hooked up into a WordPress site and you know all that stuff. And I did all that. I bootstrapped it all because I didn't have the money um, to invest into something else as a, as a side hustle. Uh, and then to kind of you know <laughs> bring it back a little bit, basically, you know, to to tell people you know the true story of me leaving corporate to start to do the business. I came off of that that performance improvement plan, that PIP, and the day that I came off of it. Uh, I went to my manager. I was like, did I fulfill all the obligations of my PIP? And they were like, yes, but you know, you still have to, you know, take it easy and, you know, watch your ass and this and, you know, constantly improve and, you know, it's going to be tough and this and that. And I was like, yeah, I get it all. Um, but I'm not gonna have to worry about that. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, cause here's my two week resignation. I'm leaving. 
So I, I did a little pride FU thing, which was probably really stupid in the long term because I probably <laughs> should have let them lay me off because I probably would have had a 10 to 12 week severance package and at least six months of unemployment I could have relied on. Um, but I chose the FU method because I'm an asshole. <laughs> um, like there's no other reason I should have let them lay me off. I would have had a little money to fall back on. I was the same way, dude. Like, I, I sold my first business and then I told them, Hey, I don't really need to be here. And so they were like, you can go to two days a week, keep your insurance. Um, we just need you here two days a week. And so I, they had me, I worked four day weeks. So they made me work Tuesday and Friday or Monday and Thursday. I don't recall. Um, and I was a, I was the worst employee known to man, right? <laughs> like every day I talked back every day. I told them why this company sucked every day. Yeah. I didn't hit my numbers. I needed to hit. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, and then, HR guy who I was just talking about, Command Sergeant Major. Boy, did he throw my ass out of the out of the building quickly. Uh, they, they told me they didn't need me anymore. So, uh, yeah. you know, before before I got to that point, I at least made sure I had some version of a. It was a calculated risk that I was taking. It was a big risk, but it was a calculated risk. And the reason I needed to make a calculated risk on it, um, because I had a three and a one year old, I had a mortgage. Uh, my wife had a good job as a teacher, but as a lot of people know, teachers don't get paid the most. Um, you know, two dogs. I still had part-time income of probably a few three five hundred dollars a month from army pay for you know for weekend drill. Um, you know, but I, I had some lines on you know cash jobs. Like I said, I was good with my hands. I'd fix stuff. I was doing handyman stuff. I was getting into uh, snow plowing season. I would always snow plow on the side. So I had you some were hustling. stuff. I would always hustle. I always had something going on, on the side. So I had, I had a little bit of money coming in there. Um, I would cut out all the, uh, you know, unnecessary uh, thing. Unnecessary. What kind of word is that? Um, the things that were unnecessary. Um, scale things back a little bit. I would stop putting into retirement for a while. My health insurance was already under my wife. So I didn't have to worry about that. The kids were under uh, the health insurance were under the wife. So that's what I mean by calculated. And I had some people that are already interested in what I was building, you know, and I made it the decision to step back because like Tony Robbins says, everyone either tries to avoid pain or gain pleasure. Um, I was trying to do both, but the big thing for me was avoiding pain because I just couldn't take working at the place anymore. I would come home. I would take it out on my family. I was stressed out. Uh, I didn't like what I did anymore. Um, I didn't like how I was being treated there. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of that stuff resonated with myself and the energy that I brought while I was there. But there was also other things going on as well. There takes two to tango. So, you know, I just got to the point where I'd rather, and I broke down in front of my wife and I was like, listen, I'd rather pump gas. Not saying anything's the matter with pumping gas, by the way. I'm just like, just as an analogy I was using, I'd rather do something else and get paid severe less money. Um, than what I was doing anymore. And I was making a healthy six figure income, right? You know, and I was like, see you later. And at that point, I burned the ships, you know, like Cortez says and stuff like that. I burned the ships um, and had to f win the war. So I figured out a way and how to do that and put a plan together. And, you know, what I would do to build High Speed Daddy up and get a community together um, to launch this product of a really cool, you know, backpack diaper bag for badass dudes. So, and, uh, that was pretty much the launch of high speed daddy, you know, of, of how I got that community together and figured it out. And if I just did one thing every day, that was my goal and good was good enough. I wasn't trying to make things perfect. I would just get something accomplished 
If I connected MailChimp with the WordPress site, success. It looked sloppy. It was ugly. The lead magnet sucked, but it was together and it was working because emails would trickle in like one a week, <laughs> you know, things like that. And I would, you know, write my own blog post, putting that value out there and getting that out in front of people, asking people to share it and whatnot. And, you know, by the time that the product uh, was available for sale, um, I launched it to everywhere that I had a community built and asked for people to share it and this and that. And I had a lot of good, um, a lot of good people behind me that supported me and, and were behind me. And I had a lot of people that were scared to shit and didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know? And, uh, you know, my, my father was one of them, you know, just, Hey, I don't think you're making the right decision here. You're stepping away from security, you know, because he was, he believed that what he was supposed to, what I was supposed to do was work corporate America and, do better than what he did, mm. you know? So, uh, he was scared of shit, but it took him, it, it took him a little while. And I'll tell a story in a little bit, uh, about what kind of made him come around, but going to the actual launch of the product itself, I think I had a hundred bags that I had air shipped over because we were already like two to three weeks late. So, um, you know, I had, I had a hundred bags that were available for sale right away, uh, out of the initial order of like 500 or something like that. Um, Got them on Amazon, started PPC, had the listing set up, looked beautiful. Uh, and by beautiful, I mean iPhone 7 um, images <laughs> with no cropping in the background, you know, uh, on a white sheet that was hung like by my bed with product that was pushed back and this and that and horrible lighting and whatever I had researched and knew about setting up a listing. But uh, we sold out in two weeks. Nice. So that was... Uh, that, that was proof to me that I was onto something. And at that point, it became, oh, let's figure out how to do cash flow because I don't know shit about that. But yeah, it was, uh, it, it, was, it was cool how it launched and the reception that it got initially. And then it was keep building up, keep doing what we were doing from there and just keep trying to figure out how to find money to uh, pay for the next orders and not go out of stock right before the next shipments would be finished. An early yeah. grind is weird, man. Like I, you, you say you, you had a white sheet and you were taking photos. Um, I went and bought like this big piece of tag board that was white when I, yep. I launched. I don't know if you can see them behind me, but yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Way down in the bottom, there's some gel pens. That was the first product I ever did. <laughs> uh, and I remember buying this giant white piece of tag board, going in my yard, uh, and then putting the pens out on there and yeah. trying to take like artistic photos and. Uh, I was part of an adult coloring book company at the time. And so I would mm -hmm. use the pens to color in one of those photos and then mention that company. And again, put it on paper use. Uh, back then, there wasn't many filters, but there was a filter that made like the, the neon colors more neon, right? <laughs> and I still have it. It's a picture of like an elephant that, dude, it took me like an hour to color in this tiny elephant. Adult coloring is not for <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, I, the hustle back then, man, like yeah. I, it, there's so many opportunities for you to say, fuck this, I'm done. There's so many opportunities to quit because it's hard. It's really hard in the beginning to get going. Uh, but if you can push through all that, well, that man, that's good. why I always had that mantra. Good is good enough, right? Stop trying to make something perfect because you're going to get caught up. You're not going to have the time. You're going to get held up on something. Good is good enough. Get it out there. Get feedback from people on what's not working and then revise. You're going to spend too much time on what you think is perfect, not what your customers think is perfect or not what everyone else, the community thinks is perfect or good, you know? So just, just get something up there and get feedback on it. And then you can come back around and revise it later. And that's what I, that's what I've done with a lot of stuff in the business. Now there's certain things that you need to try to make as good as possible. Right. You know, like nowadays, like 
you got to try like product imagery is really important you know things along those lines you know you're you're listening try to do it but get it to a point where you can get it out there get it working integrated move on to the next thing that you have to do because if you're doing it all yourself you don't have time to just spend weeks and weeks and weeks on one uh, on a set of photos right so you got to ship other th- you got to yeah. ship man there's a book called do the work which is like a smaller version of war of art which we mentioned earlier in the show uh, go buy the audiobook. It's 45 minutes. And like, that's all he talks about is like bust through the resistance. It's going to show up, welcome it with open arms and say, Hey, I knew you were going to be here. And then ship, 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 uh, yep. and just continue iterating. Yeah. And you know, from there, like I said, it was just, uh, trying to figure out inventory management, you know, um, you know, cash flow stuff like that. These were all things that were kind of new to me. Like I had the, ex- the, the thing that I had going for me is I had the product experience. I had the sourcing experience. I had the procurement experience, quality experience. So I knew products. I knew how to find them. I knew how to buy them. Um, it's just the inventory flips I was aware of, but didn't know the intricacies of it. The cash flow management and financial aspects of it, I was familiar. I didn't know the in- intricate stuff. This is all stuff that at my corporate job, whole other groups took care of, right? You know, like I was aware and I looked at things and I was like, okay, cool, you know. I understand, you know, P&O, balance sheet, like, like I knew what these things were. I didn't know how anything worked. Um, so this was all new stuff that I was figuring out along the way, tax strategy and all that stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm a sole proprietor, but the first year I was like, oh, I made a decent amount of money. And the tax guy's like, yeah, you owe a little bit of money over here. Mm. I was like, yeah, but all my money's in inventory. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to do some stuff on that. It's the worst part of e-commerce, man. It's a constant yeah. cash headache. Yes. And your yeah. paper, your your books look so good. And everybody, yeah. if anybody just looked at your books, they'd be like, man, Craig's rich. And you'd be like, yeah. what? Yeah. Like, I like, have a thousand bags. I have a thousand woobies. I have uh, all this inventory that, yeah. uh, you know, love them or hate them. Trump allowed you to write that off when oh, of you order that rather than when you sell it, right? Yeah. I, I think people assume you have a lot of money, but most people just have a lot of inventory that they can't write off yes. until they sell it. Yes, exactly. And, you know, this goes into, I mean, specifically for your, for your audience, uh, what afforded me the ability to scale, I think relatively quickly, uh, was the fact that I never took anything off the table personally, um, for 18 months or so, give or take until I found a CPA and read a book (laughs) profit first. Uh, but I also found a CPA that was like, we need to change you to an S corp. You need to start taking a reasonable salary, <clears throat> 25 grand for the year, um, you know, which was like a quarter of what I was making in corporate life. But either way, I was like, I haven't made any money in, you know, eight, 10 months at that point. And he's like, this is what we have to do. We have to change things around. We have to do this. So the combination of changing to an S corp um, and then reading the book profit first and learning how to basically put that money aside up front for taxes, for profit, you know, for OPEX, for, for, ta- you know, things like that. Um, once I figured that all out, I figured out how I could pay myself. But it was like 18 months, you know, in the in the making to to do that. Um, but it might but, not be 18 months, but there's definitely six maybe months that you have you can't take any money. Yeah. Like in order to meet demand and not, you know, God forbid, run out of stock on Amazon and lose your ranking. Well, th- that's what was happening to me. I was constantly doubling orders. Um, First one was 500. Next one was, was a thousand. Next one was like 1750. Um, and that stuff. And I kept selling out just before that next order was ready for sale. And there'd always be that one to two week lag, but it was cool because I I'd sell out, you know, ranking dropped. As soon as I went back on, 
I already had the launch list because everyone, I was like, oh, I'm out of stock, but find me here and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I hit it, everyone would flood. I'd spike the algorithm. The algorithm would go back up. My sales rank would go back up and then it'd be nice, nice, nice until I'd go out of stock. And that was like my world for a week and a half or a a year and a half. With my supplements, I actually have to do that. Like Otherwise, Amazon does not rotate stock, right? So Mm -hmm. occasionally I'll get an email from somebody who's like, hey, this expired a year ago. And I'm like, how the how is that possible? Mm -hmm. How did Amazon have this one sitting on a shelf for three years? Uh, And so I like purposely have to run out of stock in order to get all of them out of there and start all over again. And yeah, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, Yeah, it's frustrating to do the up and down game. And uh, honestly, it's frustrating to play the Amazon game most days. But um, yeah, it's 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 something to deal with in the beginning that you really don't think about as far as, you know, pleasing, pleasing the almighty God, Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, the the cool thing, you know, Pertinent to my story and like helping out everyone and uh, by everyone I mean like developing this community of dads that we try to make better um, was the fact that I became a stay-at-home dad, right? I became, I, I don't like the term Mr. Mom per se, because I think like, you know, I'm not trying to be mom. I'm just trying to be a dad, right? I'm just trying to be father and, and a dad here. Uh, so responsibilities had then kind of not necessarily changed, but we started dividing and conquering more. My wife was you know, back at work full-time, I was at home either with the kids or dividing and conquering with grandma. Uh, so I could get a work block in here, a work block in there, but I was dropping kids off at daycare, picking them up from daycare. I was doing a food shop and I do the cleaning. I'd make all the meals. Like, you know, I was always, always involved in some version of that, but now we've taken to a new level because my wife became the, the breadwinner of the family. Right. So, you know, I, I had to do that stuff. Uh, and not that I just had to, I wanted to, that's part of the reason I left corporate America. Cause I, I saw where things were going, where my kids were going to start getting passed off to, um, like full-time daycare, like the nine, you know, eight to fives or nine to five daycares. Uh, and I, and you know, we were thankful, very grateful that my mother-in-law was around to help out with some of that, but it also wasn't fair to her that she would have to watch our kids, you know, all day long and, and things like that. Um, you know, one day, two days a week. Okay. Or splitting, you know, like, you know, um, the kids go to daycare in the morning and then grandma watches them in the afternoon, like some version of splitting, you know, I felt a lot better with than just passing our kids off. Now that's my personal preference. That's my, my wife's personal preference. I'm not saying anything's a matter with that, but I, I personally wanted to have more of a hand in raising my kids. And if I was going to keep working corporate, that wasn't going to be possible, especially with me going away from military service at least one weekend a month, you know, several, you know, multitude of weeks throughout the year. I mean, that had to help like build your brand, right? So look, look, I own authenticecommerce.com. I promise something's coming there whenever I get out of my own way. Right now, <laughs> it just leads to an email sign up, which we just said is hard. Go sign up for my email list. Uh, but I'm all about people being authentic. Uh, the, the people I can consult with who are selling something that is them, that they believe in, they do so much better than the people who are just selling a product, right? And so I have to assume that you being a stay-at-home dad and realizing all the lessons that come with that, which I, you know, found out through stepchildren that, uh, that helped you build your brand that helped you want to be authentically you and build this community and teach other people how to be better dads. I'm my own target market. Right. So, and it's not just me getting information and putting it out there to guys. It's, it's literally like I'm in this, um, I don't (laughs) like in the military, we say embrace the suck. Right. And there's patches out there for kids, you know, fathers and kids say, embrace the suck of, you know, childhood and stuff like that. It's not the suck. It's just being a father, right? Just, it's just being a dad to your kids. And like, there's good times and there's bad times. 
and there's things that we have to learn from it and there's things we have to get better and improve upon. And if people can learn from my experience, great. And I'm going to pass that on, but I'm learning at the same time, right? I'm growing up and, and do it. And I am by no means perfect. And I am my worst fucking critic as well. And it's, it, it eats me alive on certain things um, that I'm like, I know better. I should have handled that differently. Um, but what I can do is I can then go tell others about my experience and they can resonate a little bit more with me. And I have no problem being vulnerable with people and stuff like that. You know, I, I put pride completely aside when it comes to putting food on the table for my family. Right. You know, so, um, you know, I just, just figuring stuff out along the way. And, and like I said, if I can get that knowledge out there to guys and like, Hey, I fucked up last week and this is what I did. Don't do this going forward. Here's better ways to handle that and X, Y, Z, you know, tactical things you can do to, to make that happen. And that's kind of what we're about. Um, and, you know, we've got a community uh, on Facebook. We've got a men's group online, the men's group, High Speed Daddy, Provide, Protect, Connect. Little plug, um, you know, but you can also find us at highspeeddaddy.com. Uh, plug, also, plug away. I want to hear. We, we I want have to, blogs there. Yeah. You know. By all means, plug away. I want to hear about this community, right? So how did, like, uh, I'm trying to think of some experiences I had. So, uh, I own a company, uh, selling tiny house products. Right. Mm-hmm. And we decided to build this community behind there and boy, did it take off. It was pretty easy to fill a Facebook group. I think we ended up getting it to like 75,000 before I left. Um, I thought it was pretty easy. I actually made a course on it way back in the day. Um, but how did you fill yours? How did you begin to get, how did you begin to tell your messaging of like, uh, this is what the brand is about and then get people to buy in enough to come, you know, take an action, come join a Facebook group and share in that like community that you're trying to like, help, help me understand how you built that. The hardest part for us is getting other guys to be vulnerable. Like I can get in there and be vulnerable and be like, this is it's men. How, how do I want to phrase this up front in on, on the outside men, don't want to show vulnerability because they think being vulnerable is a weakness, right? You always have to be the alpha male. You know, that that's one things that like was through our society has come into us. Cause anytime that you cry as a male, anytime that you show, you know, that, that, you know, you, you kind of display some stuff of you, it, it um, that, that isn't you in the best light. It, it shows weakness and people view weakness, you know, as you know, you don't want to be around them and, you know, things along those, those lines. But that's just how society has put put a container on that. Now, for us, the hardest part is like getting guys to open up, right? Guys want to open up about stuff. I want someone I can talk to, you know, like, you know, the 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 bar conversations, right? You know, you can, no one can go to a bar and have a conversation anymore because the world we live in is crazy right now. But, um, you know, going going to a place where you can talk to some people about your problems, or you can just go and tell someone that you had a great day. And you want to pass that on to other people. And that's kind of what we do there. Now, what we're nowhere near 75,000. And it's going to probably take a little while for us to get there just because we, we're having trouble overcoming getting guys to open up in that way. And what we do is we just try to show other, by my example, or by other people's examples in there, that opening up and showing about these things is, is okay. And it's cool. And we're helping guys through it. And some guys have it really bad where, you know, I got a best friend that lost his wife last year and uh, he's a single dad. Now it was a three-year-old daughter at the time, lost his wife to breast cancer. Like my best friend, I have like two, two, three best friends in my, in my close tight knit circle. And this was one of them. And one, I love that. I started a business back in the day 
and I say back in the day, it's four years ago. Um, I like that I started a business where I had the opportunity I can go spend a week or two with, with my buddy and help him through this difficult time. But this also reminded me of these are the type of guys that I'm trying to help, right? That now are single dads that don't know how to operate without a wife. Like I don't have that experience, but I can, I can pass modalities onto them, whether, you know, for positive mindset, self-improvement and being the best versions of themselves, because now their stress levels just went through the roof. And guess what that stress is going to get passed on to his daughter, right? So my job, I always feel my motivation is to be that filter and figure out how to get in there and help these guys so that they can stop passing that stress down, filter it into positive positivity down to their kids. I got, I got two points there. Number one, the, the, the universe we live in, the world we live in is so full of bravado, machismo. Yeah. Men need yes. to be a certain way. So a good example is uh, it took a little while for our golf course to open this year due to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment it opened, there was strict rule. You come to the clubhouse, you wear a mask. Um, I don't think that's that hard to follow. Um, first week we're there, first week of league. There's people with Lysol containers in their golf carts. Um, everyone's riding in their own cart, but no one's wearing a fucking mask. And they're all like, are you going to wear a mask, bro? Like, well, I'm not going to. Well, unless you're going to wear one. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this like bravado machismo? Yeah. Like I'm man enough to fight COVID because I'm a man. Like, I'm, I don't know. It just blew my mind. Right. And so uh, I love that you're trying to break through that. I actually have an idea for you. So on episode 17, yes. I had Andrew Udarian on here from e-commerce fuel. Um, if you join e-commerce fuel, you are forced to provide value. Your first, po- you have to write this big case study as your first post or you're out. Uh, and so I've actually seen some people come in, uh, since I had that episode, John Murphy, I see your post this morning. Uh, I'm going to write a response on there. That's kind of cool, but like you're forced to write a post. So I don't know how you okay. enforce that in your Facebook group, but like, if you put that in your questions, if you put that in your pin post yeah, yeah, of yeah. like, you need to come in here and tell us why you joined, tell us about your family, tell us some, make a vulnerable moment. And then like, yeah. uh, maybe in your pin post, you can link to a few others that guys have done it. So they have examples. So they Ooh. see like, this is the community we have. Um, okay. and if you're not going to open up, you don't belong here. Uh, and really just, you know, put your container in and say, this is, this is who this is for. And if yeah. you're not that, get out. We, we mentioned that, but we don't do anything as to like making people and like kicking them out, you know, if they don't do it. So maybe it's just getting a little bit more of a firm hand, you know, or, or, you know, like you said, putting that container on it. Yeah. He does some things too with like, uh, he has charter members that he let in there for free way back in the beginning to build mm-hmm. this. And they're all awesome people. Uh, and he, connects them somehow i don't know the full story um but he connects them somehow with the charter members right so if okay. you have five guys and i'm sure you do who yeah. post all the time all the time mm-hmm. connect your new members with those five guys get them to be moderators and so that they can you know coach that person into vulnerability into being open and Ooh, i um, like it yeah i don't know hopefully those give like you some it. ideas on how to get yeah, absolutely more interaction and more vulnerability in your group because the more you can get more guys to step outside of who they think they need to be in this world uh and you know show their emotions i think you're gonna have a pretty awesome group yeah and you know it's that that example with my buddy is, is just you know one time i mean i've got even my own brother my, my brother ha- has a son from a first marriage uh which w- was not a good th- not a good thing should never happened right but he, he's got a son from it loves his son stuff like that but i see some of my father coming in through my brother my father is like the opposite of being vulnerable literally the opposite I saw my father like cry once at his own mother's funeral. And that's probably it. Um, you know, and that was just like one tear and that's just how he was, he was kind of raised and brought up and stuff like that. But I see some of that translating through my brother to my nephew. And I, I try to help out 
you know, in that term, my brother just doesn't know any better. And I'm not talking down my brother. He's just an example of a typical dad out there that doesn't know how to handle certain situations and never been open to it, never been experienced to it. Um, and these are the things that we're like, we're trying to help guys through, but this is also stuff that's constantly in my head about what I can do to, to help these guys out. And yes, we, we sell some products on the side as well, but for me, like just helping these guys out, um, you don't have to be a dad. It's just men in general. Right. But that's standing up for what you, you make brand recommend. I'm wearing beats right now. Yeah, uh, I'm recommending these beats by wearing them, right? By them wearing your bag, they're recommending you be a better father, right? So I think that's great. And just to add on another brother story, same thing. Uh, my brother was four years older than me, but only two years higher in grades. He got held back um, in kindergarten, and I got put in early. They thought I was some genius. I'm, I'm not. Um, but you are. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, and he was a he's an athlete, and I'm a little more roly poly. Uh, and so he would go out and play sports with us, and I sucked. Uh, and then. As older brothers do, he would, uh, you know, I'd cry because I sucked. And then he would tell me, you know, quit crying, you pussy men don't cry. And he would beat my ass and make me cry some more. Um, and so when I got with my now wife and her twin kids, her son, as, as kids do, would cry about just the most obnoxious things. And my first instinct was like, quit being a little girl, quit being a pussy. And, and Heather immediately looked at me and was like, what are you doing? Like he's totally okay to cry and it's totally okay to have emotions and don't call him a little girl. It's not just girls that cry. And like, uh, I had to learn that the hard way too. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. like, you know, we all, we all come from somewhere. Um, and wherever we came from, those people were probably doing the best that they could with, yes. with the information they have. Yes. And now you have a little better information. Yes. And so if you have better information, you should do better. And so I'm really glad there's someone like out like you out there showing new information giving people new perspective on, on what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a man. Yeah. And, and you, oh man, you, you literally hit the nail on that head for, for what we strive to do in the, in the thought process. And we don't blame anyone from the backgrounds that they come from and it's not right or wrong. It's just trying to do better, right? There's other ways to handle things. Um, people just don't know what they are. And we just, it's our job to bring that information forward, whether I have to go out and find it, whether I have to go through it personally, um, whether we get it from other members of our community chipping in, you know, their experience. I learned so much just from our other members of the community, right? It, it's all that stuff. But we're all on the grind. We're all on the daily, you know, the daily little rat race of things going on, working, kids going on, freaking COVID's going on. And all this stuff is adding stress to the situation. I don't have time to read books and this and that, you know, but it, it's it's trying to get that take that pause, take those couple breaths, maybe do a little breath work, maybe do a little meditation, maybe go exercise. You know, these are all few little things we talk about in our, in our group and what, you know, could help others out. So, you know, we, we try to go through that. And like you said, we, you know, we, we do have the backpacks and, you know, when someone's wearing our backpack or our lunch bags, you know, or, you know, our first aid kits or our, our blankets and, and this and a whole range of different products and patches and whatnot. Um, trying to get out there. And this all helps us, you know, uh, continue the mission and continue this going on. And we give money back to veterans and, and service vets and stuff like that. And that have disabilities or, or they're, they're fine with it. We, we employ, we're not a huge company, but we've got four guys on payroll right now, uh, in varying, um, levels that are hundred percent disabled through the VA, through veterans affairs, which means that, uh, in order to do that, they, had to experience some version of a service-related conflict uh, that got them to a point where they're not able to perform normal functions, you know, in their everyday life, whether it's physically or mentally, 
you know, PTSD, things along those lines. Um, and we employ four of them right now. And our goal is to continue to employ more, you know, and that's why we say we're veteran owned and operated. So, you know, that, that stuff with selling our, our products and helping other guys out and, and helping these veterans out. It's, it's all the bigger picture of just taking care of people who can't take care of themselves, don't know how to take care of themselves, you know, just looking to be better things along those lines. When you have a partner, uh, George, that's whose mastermind yep. we were both in. Yep. Um, I don't know how much you want to go into this. I'm actually, I think I'm going to release this after the one I'm going to record later today with my new partner, Leanna Patch. And so hopefully if you're listening to this, you listened to last week, but uh, I continually get questions about partnerships. Um, and I've seen in my life that sometimes I'm looking for a partner because I have low self-worth and that I really probably could do it myself. Um, I've been in a lot of partnerships. They all haven't been great. Uh, but I, I get a lot of questions of people. How do they work? What does that look like? And so hopefully Leanna and I later today are going to talk about that on last, mm-hmm. hopefully last week's episode. This all sounds weird when I'm recording it back to back here. Uh, but what is, do you mind talking about yours? What does that look like? Yeah. How, do, how, yeah, do we, partnerships, we t- how does a partnership yeah. play well in your business? Um, for, for us, we're very yin yang when it comes to responsibilities and strengths and weaknesses. Like George, George is obviously very marketing focused and, and uh, you know, that that's his strength. I knew that was a weakness of mine. Uh, I'm the product guy. I'm the ops guy. Uh, I'm the money guy. So, you know, he kind of wears that hat of the CMO and I'm CEO, COO, CFO, right. You know, of, of things of that sorts. Um, but you know, from the beginning, we, we knew what, what those terms were as to who's going to control what. And I think that's very important of, um, obviously it all has to mesh together. And that's why I said, we're kind of yin yang. I control this. He controls that. Uh, I looked for him uh, to make certain strategic decisions and he looks to me to make sure the finances are well and, you know, everything's being led accordingly. So that helps out um, big time is the division of responsibilities. I'd say that's probably the most important thing there. Um, yeah, the same for me. Yeah. Bringing in somebody who shores up a weakness, right? So Leanna yes. is a copywriter. Yeah. I'm not the greatest at copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really is able to tell a story much better than me as well. And so uh, she shored up a weakness of mine and came into a company that we're both pretty passionate about. And um, I don't know, I, I get so many questions about partnerships. I, I'm not sure how to do an episode where it really deep dives enough for somebody to understand the, the, the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows, the things that are great. There's definitely things that suck. And, and yeah. I'm not sure how to have that episode. So I'm always it's, curious to ask people. You know, I think, I think there's expectations. You got to kind of, move expectations out. You can't expect them to do something unless it's kind of laid out as to what they're supposed to do. Um, but you can't just be like, oh man, I thought you were working on the Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. You know, that's under your, you know, no, it's it's it is a combined effort, right? There's certain things that need to be done, but there's also, you know, at least me in the CEO role and, you know, ha- having the other C hats on or whatever. Um, you know, I have to at least have an education to a point where I'm aware of the things that they're doing as well. Now, you know, I'd say that, you know, I'm nowhere near where, where George is in the marketing concepts and tactics and abilities and stuff like that. But I'm aware, at least when he talks to me, like, we should try this, we should do that. I'm going to go talk to this agency. This is what they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And I have to be aware of all those little things because all that's going to translate into something else that I either have to implement or, you know, get tactical with, or it's going to affect something else with cash flow or line of credit and things uh, of that sorts. Um, but George and I, um, I don't want to say what's unique cause I'm not, I honestly, I've never had a partnership outside of this. Um, we, we do rely heavily on the personal side of things. 
that's just how him and I go. Uh, we'd like to say we're friends first, business partners second. Um, he relies on me for personal issues and helping him through personal issues. And I go to him with my personal issues as well. Uh, things of that sorts. Cause that obviously the personal issues do tie right back into the business, especially when you have a business that's built around family <laughs> and, and, you know, fa- family things going on and dynamics and whatnot. Um, but you know, we, you know, we'll, we'll talk, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll text message every day, every other day, stuff like that. We'll get on a zoom call once a week or something along those lines, unless there's something pressing that needs to be done. Um, communication, you know, is, is key. Just, you got to constantly communicate with your partner and just find out what level, but it's not just, um, for things that tactically need to get done immediately. It's also for the future. Hey, what's your game plan? Are we going to ride this out for, you know, cash purposes or are we going to look to sell? If we're going to look to sell, what's the number? right? What, what is that at? Or are we going to bring in another partner? Are we going to do something along those lines? Are we going to bring in another partner that will infuse money into the business? Are we going to bring in another partner that to shore up a other section of the business or something along those lines? What's the long-term? What's the short-term goal? So a lot of, it's all comes down to the communication, just like a relationship with your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. So do you guys share a vision? I, I found if, if somebody, if, if one person or as a collective, if you share it, there needs to be a real vision for the company, right? All my consulting clients, the very first thing I do is I send you a copy of Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold, mm-hmm. and I tell you to do that exercise because you need to know where you're going, right? And so in yeah. partnerships, I found uh, it's important for everyone to share one vision or one person to lead that vision. And so, you know, what's the case for you guys? You guys share your vision of where you're going? I, I had the vision initially before I, I kind of, I brought him on with my vision. Um, I just, I couldn't fathom at the time how numbers played into that, let's say, but you know, of where high speed daddy's going and other subsidiary brands, you know, that will, that will come out of high speed daddy and stuff like that. And he was the one that had the experience through, you know, working with other companies, consulting and stuff like that before, uh, that was like, okay, we can take that. And this is what we have to do. And I think these are some numbers that can, can be relative around there. And once those are the numbers, then it's, what do you want to do from there? Mm. You know, so he goes, you know, once we get to the, around those numbers, then he's like, at least I'm comfortable to sell. I think you're probably comfortable to sell, or we just continue going, we can continue building, you know, but it's, it's working it up because we've had people approach us even in the short term, uh, just as a recent that are like, Hey, you know, we're, uh, we're a brand, we're looking to buy up dad brands and, uh, you know, are you interested in letting go at this moment? And I talked to George, I was like, are, are we looking? I was like, times are a little different COVID this and that. He goes, nope. I still think we're on the the original plan. I am too. Cool. Let's keep moving forward. That's awesome. I'd yeah. love to share some some down times at some point in, in one of these episodes. I, I, I just there's there's things that suck in partnerships at times, um, and I'd love to share that at some point. I, I do want to talk about uh, Catherine Lavery from Best Self Co. She just recently yeah. bought out her partner. Uh, yeah. Sounds like she went through some some shit to put it okay. lightly uh, and okay. she wrote about it. So I'll put the link in the show notes, but go to littlemite.com, M I G H D littlemite.com. It's her last blog post. Um, she talks the good, the bad, the ugly, really ugly of, of her partnership and what that looked like. And it's uh, one of the best articles I think I've read in 2020. So I'll put a link to the show notes and, and cheers to Catherine for breaking free from her toxicity. But I, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's things that suck. And so at some point I'll have to, you know, 
you know, take a look at my non-competes and non-disclosures and make sure I'm okay to talk about these things. But um, yeah, I've been through some some shit myself and they're not all roses. They're they're like yeah. everything else in life. They're, they're what you make of it. So um, I do want to transition real quick. I know, yeah. uh, again, we're running against it, which we usually do on my show. Um, you, I think you launched a second brand. Am I wrong? Like you have the whole high-speed daddy thing, but did you not or we we are going to yeah yeah so there there's there's high speed daddy and we have high speed mommy that we're working on in the background um you know it, it's high, you know we've got such great reception with you know high speed daddy and stuff like that um you know helping men be the best versions of themselves well guess what it takes two to tango right so you know the, it works just the other way on the other side of things where women kind of want women empowerment want to be the best versions of themselves and show up the best versions for their husband and for their, for, for their children and stuff like that. Um, you know, the hard, the hard thing for us, and I'll be, you know, straight transparent with you is that we're a very guy oriented brand, have men in men, men in certain positions and guys in certain positions. Uh, and we decided that while we can oversee things, we're really going to need a woman to kind of run the show on that side, because we can't think about what women want from our point of view, we can try, but we're not going to be able to get into the heads of certain things. And we think it'll be better for uh, that women, such as we run a men, we run a men, online men's group, right? For you know our Facebook group, we're going to need a woman to run a woman's only woman's group for that support and things along those lines. So, well, we just haven't identified the right uh, personnel to get that going. And then, honestly, I think the uh, it's going to be weird to say, but I think the product side of things are are going to be the easier portion of this. Um, it's going to be setting up the foundation of how we're going to organize the personnel HR wise and who's going to run it. Once we have those things identified, I think everything else will fall into place. And then everything that we did on high speed daddy side for foundationally, um, it's, I think it's going to be pretty good to replicate over. Yeah. I think if you can just go out and find the right female mm-hmm. who embodies everything you want, give her a slice of equity and pay her a CEO rate and just say, go. Right. Here's the framework and go. I think that one's going to be bigger than high speed daddy. Like women just love the community side and they're very much more vulnerable and open. And my wife's part of a few different groups of moms with multiples and uh, infertility groups and like women just, they love to share this stuff. Right. And so, um, I think that's going to be huge. If you can hire, if you, if you can hire the right person, you're probably going to have to eat it. You got to eat it in the beginning, right? Like it's going to cost you. Um, but if you're willing to like play the long game there and you find the right lady, I think that's going to crush for you. Yeah. So we're, we're, I mean, we've been talking about that for a little while now and everyone's like, just launch a purple bag. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, we want, we want pink camo. I'm like, I know it's easy. You want pink camo, but I'm like, no, it's, it's not, we're not just selling products. Yes, we can go sell products all day long and launch new products all day long and make, you know, make money doing that stuff and some will fail and some will take off and this and that. I was like, but that's not what we're about, right? We're we're about helping people. You know, and if we're going to launch high speed mommy, we need to have the right person, you know, run, running that show and and I'm not that person. I can help and I can oversee and work partner hand in hand with them. Um, you know, like ideally I'd love it if it was like my wife, right? But she's that's just not her. And I can't force her to do that either. You know, and that's not, that's not fair on me to force you to be like, you need to go into a Facebook group and moderate and comment on this. Yeah. When she's got a seven, five and two year old that she's trying to raise, you know, like, no, it ain't going to happen. No, but there's some strong, powerful mm-hmm. females mm-hmm. out there. Yes, there are. If definitely. you can just find her, um, yeah, it's going to crush for you. I, I look yeah. forward to meeting whoever you do hire for that. I bet she's <laughs> going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. And also probably a little scary, if I'm honest. And that's yeah, exactly it, yeah, what you probably going to be a firecracker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm excited for you on that one. So look, we've talked a lot of 
you know, rosiness, things that have went well for you. My last note is, is that rivalry, right? And I don't know how deep you want to get into this. You'll feel feel free to uh, tell me to shut up if you want to, but tactical baby gear is a real force. Yeah. Um, I went in and, and I gave you, I don't know, a free hour or two or something like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. consulting on your ads. Yes. Um, the keywords were clear. They, they, they slant towards the brand that they've built. So good for them. Um, but you know, they probably have some trademarks. They, they, yes, they started before you, we, you sell similar products. We've had some fun with them with trademarks. And by that, I mean, our lawyers have gotten together and butted heads a little bit. Um, you know, (laughs) that's just part of business. You're going to run into that. Uh, there's, there's no harm, no, no foul stuff like that. We weren't trying to infringe on anything. They started a, we were using a trademark term that they trademarked after the fact, but because they used it first and then got a trademark, we just couldn't use it anymore. It was it was one of those things. We could have went and pursued it further of some version of what would you call it, like a litigation or something like that. Um, and we just figured it, it just wasn't worth it. And if we were going to go head to head on two diaper bag companies, you know, over <laughs> like waste money, like I'd rather take that money and just give it away and donate it to like some veteran group. You know, like screw that shit. I'm not trying to do that. Um, you know, so they're they're a very powerful force. They've got they've got good products. Um, they have a similar mindset, you know, around trying to help guys. I think we're uh, we go a little bit deeper. Uh, I'm not going to talk down about them. Um, marketing wise, they they got a great business. You know, they've got great business acumen, things like that. Uh, and then you know, hopefully someday we get together and someone buys both of us and we get to work together, or uh, we grow big enough and we buy them. So you know, whatever. <laughs> well, they got uh, you know a big name talking about him, Kurt Alster, right? So Kurt, I'd love to have you on the show, buddy. I uh, filled out your form on your website. When are you going to answer? Uh, but uh, Kurt's <laughs> amazing. I love the unofficial yeah. Shopify podcast, um, and I believe he designed their website. So he gives them press. I am yeah. nowhere near as big as the unofficial Shopify podcast, but I love Craig Rizzoli. And so uh, I'm going <laughs> to start pumping high speed daddy from now on. I'm just going to start talking about you know, the, the one hour I spent with you and your ads, that means I, I care about this company. And so yes, uh, I'm going to tell everybody to buy high speed daddy. Uh, look, I think there's probably a lot of people this this resonated with. And so where can they find you? Where can they find this men's group? Where can they buy some of your products? Uh, how can they just learn more about Craig Rizzoli? Yeah. So everyone that's super dedicated to buying prime, uh, we, we are on Amazon. Uh, we have pretty big influence uh, there. Just search as high speed daddy on, on Amazon. Um, you can go to our website. We have a lot of information there, not just products, but information or blog and things along those lines at highspeeddaddy.com. Uh, and my email is always open to anyone that wants to reach out to me. Um, Craig, C-R-A-I-G at highspeeddaddy.com. And then obviously we got Facebook, Instagram at highspeeddaddy. So lots of great stuff in there. What's the easiest way to find that men's group? I think that'd be cool for, for quite a few um, people to join. I know I'm part of it as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, Facebook groups. Just search High Speed Daddy. Provide, protect, connect. Yep, and uh, that's that's everything there. Well, like I mentioned somewhere in the beginning of the show, I have a backpack. I have the white camo, which is pretty sick. Which uh, is limited edition, actually. By the ooh, way, nice. Yeah, we we decided that uh, you know we we are almost out of white camo, and uh, we decided that it's going to stay limited edition. We were like, we're going to launch a limited edition. Then we're like, okay, no, it's going to be our normal one of our normal colors. No, it's limited edition. Go get white camo. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to give mine away. I, I'm, again, I'm a I'm a funny shaped big dude, uh, and so the backpack just doesn't fit me right. Uh, most things don't fit me right, if I'm honest with you. Uh, and so I'm going to give mine away. So again, sign up for my email list, which we talked about is really hard. I'd appreciate if all of you sign up for my email list. Uh, it's in the show notes. You can go to authenticecommerce.com and sign up that way too. I'm going to give one away and and ship it to you. So if you would like a high speed daddy white camel backpack, uh, sign up and I'll I'll send one your way. L- listen, people, you need to go sign up for that. I mean, this is. Is not a cheap product. This is a premium brand product. This is 600 denier waterproof polyester made of military materials, you know, stroller straps, integrated white pouch, insulated side pockets. It's got all the bells and whistles. And I mean, we sell these things for 115 bucks, you know, so that's mega value that uh, Ben's putting out there trying to trying to help everyone out by just giving one of these things. It's easy for you guys just to go and sign up for his email list. He gives value all the time. Anyway, go do it. What a promoter. I love it. Uh, say I'll, I'll say it back. Like the backpack's pretty kick-ass. So if you guys resonate with this stuff, go to highspeeddaddy.com. Uh, grab, a, grab a backpack, grab anything else. They sell so many things now. Um, I think it's cool what you built, Craig, honestly. Thank and you. Like Thank you've, you. Uh, you've always been really good to me. I, I enjoyed our time in the mastermind together. I'm glad we were able to reconnect. And um, anything else you'd like to leave with the audience before we shut this down? No, whether you whether you check out High Speed Daddy or not, um, constantly work on yourself, self improvement. Just try to be the best version of yourself. Think think about the examples that you set. You know, if if you got kids, think think about you know how you're doing, how you're acting with them, what legacy you're leaving with them, what you want them to remember you by, and things along those lines. And if you don't have kids, you probably have nephews, nieces, or just being around public and stuff like that. It's it's good to just be the best version of yourself and show up the best version for your family and loved ones. Well, I am totally putting that clip as my promo right there. That was amazing. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. I uh, appreciate you. Oh. Thanks so much for Craig coming on the show. If you want to check out his brand, head over to highspeeddaddy.com. Uh, if you want to join his Facebook group, uh, again, go to Facebook and search High Speed Daddy. I'm going to put both of those links in the show notes. And again, if you want to get your hands on a free backpack, just sign up for my email list, uh, thebkshow.com. It's in the header. Just sign up for the email list or in the show notes here, and I will enter you to have a chance to win a white camo backpack from High Speed Daddy. And if you're already on the list, again, just shoot me an email, Ben, at the BK Show, and I'll enter you into the raffle as well. Uh, happy to give one of these away. I think High Speed Daddy has some awesome products. And it's backed by an awesome founder and his partner, George. I learned a ton from George and his mastermind as well. So I'm happy to promote their products. Again, check them out at highspeeddaddy.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And I will see all of you next week.